Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Amen. Well, hey, if you're looking up here and going, who is that person on the microphone, by the way? My name is Teresa. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at The Rock, and it is my honor and my privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. We are, uh, this morning, somebody needs to clean their glasses. We are starting a series tonight. So a series that's going to be going on, different teachers, on Sunday nights, out of the book of Revelation, and the letter to the seven churches. So if you've got your Bible with you, you got your Bible there at home, make sure that you open it up, Revelation chapter 1. We'll be spending a lot of time there tonight, going to some other verses, but spending some time right there. So really excited about what God has for us. So as we go to Revelation, I want to spend a little bit in doing some prefix, some pre-talk the setting up the series a little bit, looking at the beginning, the first chapter before we jump in to these letters. These letters are letters to seven churches. Seven churches, right? So you could actually call them an epistle, right? There's an extra seven epistles found in the book of Revelations, letters to the churches. The different, the unique thing is this: these letters are directly dictated by Jesus Christ to the churches. Really interesting. So let's go ahead, if you're not already there, and flip over to Revelations chapter 1 as we jump into this series together. We'll start here in verse 1 because we want to make sure that we have this clear right from the get-go. It's not the revelations. It's just one revelation. It was a revelation to John, but what was being revealed was Jesus himself. Look at verse number one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. So it starts right there. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, which God gave to Jesus. Why? To show his bond servants the things which would soon take place. So a lot of times when we look at revelations, we have to remember as we read the book that God is revealing to us Jesus. We are seeing Jesus. We are looking and being shown the magnitude of who Jesus is. Right? It expands all that we believe and know about Jesus. So let's keep that. That is the purpose. That is the intent. It is a revelation, a revealing, right? A revealing, a taking off of the blindfold, an uncovering of who Jesus is. And then it says in verse number three, blessed is he. I love this blessing, right? There's a blessing in the book of Revelation. Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of the prophecy, right? The reader and the hearer, there is a blessing. And here's the caveat. So you can't just sit here tonight and listen and say, well, I'm going to be blessed because I listened or I'm going to be blessed because I'm reading it to you. No, here's the next part. And heeds the things which are written in it for the time is near. What does see heed mean? To pay attention, to take notice, to follow, to obey, to keep, to observe. What is the opposite of heed? To disregard. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of times when I've been in church and I've heard an incredible message and the preacher, right, was shouting and the preacher was excited. And why do the preachers do that? Because the message is good and they want to make sure that we capture it, right, that we get involved, that we hear it. And I've walked out of that church service and I forgot what the message was about. And I didn't take notes and I didn't heed it. 
Guess what happened with that message? I wasn't blessed from it. Only in that moment. God wants this blessing to be part of our life. So what do we have to do? It's our job to heed the word that we hear. So tonight, that's why I prayed that we would have ears to hear, right? That we would have our thinking cap on, that helmet of salvation on so that we could receive what the Holy Spirit wants to speak individually to every one of you. At home, he wants to speak to you. God has a word for you in this message tonight, right? And just Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Expect the Holy Spirit just to speak to you directly right into your situation. Regardless of what I might say, God is able. All right. So the blessing requires more than hearing. It requires a response on our part. It requires that we get involved in the process. So what do we have here? We have a letter of G- from Jesus to the churches. Blessed is he who reads and hears the words of the prophecy and heeds the things which are written And then it says, for the time is near. Now, you might be thinking, for the time is near. I mean, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. How near is this time? Well, here's the deal. Here's something that I've learned here at The Rock, right? That we are always ready. That Jesus had come at any minute. The time is always near for me. The time is always near for you. Because there's one thing I know. If Jesus delays, I've got one less day of life to live today than I do tomorrow. And every day gets closer and closer, right? Because man is created to live 70 if their strength 80. Some people can live. I saw in the news this week that I think it was John McCain's mom just passed away at 108. But even if we live that kind of an extensive life, the the point is that the end is nearer today than it was yesterday, right? So for us, the time is always near. The end is always getting closer. So our opportunity to fulfill the purposes of God, our opportunity to walk in all that God has for us, our opportunity to experience his fullness, right, is pressing. It's important that we pay attention to the time, that we don't waste those days, So what happens here? It goes into, in this chapter, in John's vision, right, there's a description of Jesus in this chapter. And it's an incredible description, right? John is hearing a voice and he turns around and he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, walking in these seven lampstands. And as he sees Jesus, what he sees is Jesus with a white robe and a gold sash. He sees Jesus' face and his hair white, he says, like snow or like wool. He sees Jesus' eyes are like fire. Out of his mouth comes a sword. His feet are like burnished bonds that have been heated up in a furnace. It's an incredible vision. So, of course, John is afraid, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. But he also sees in Jesus' hand something very interesting. It says that he sees in his hand... Let's see, verse 20 here. The seven stars, actually I'm going to go to verse 16. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in sync. Seven stars were in his hand. Verse 17 and 18, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. Behold, I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, because of all of these things, John, write the things which you have seen 
and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So there's three time periods that Jesus is asking John to write about, right? The things which you have seen. And we see John has described and written down what he saw when he looked at Jesus, what Jesus was revealed to him as, this incredible resurrected being full of light and power, right, full of authority, holding these seven stars in his hand. And then John goes on to describe the things which are. What are the things which are? The letters to the seven churches that existed, that was real churches in real time and space in chapters 2 and 3. And then we go on to the rest of Revelation, right, the Things it says which will take place, chapter 4 and on. So we have this division here, and a lot of times when we think about Revelation, we think about all the symbolism and the trumpets and the bowls of wrath and the horsemen and all of these wonderful symbols that comes after chapter 4. But in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus asked John to write these letters to these churches, and these are actual churches that existed in Turkey, in Asia Minor, during this time. And there are seven distinct letters that he asks him to write. And he says in verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, get this, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Because remember, John, when he turns around, he sees the Son of Man walking in the midst of the lampstands. The seven stars in his hand. He's holding the messages to the church. Why? Because angels, angelos, means messengers. So these are the ones who were delivering the messages to the church. Jesus was holding that. The seven lampstands. He is in the midst of his church. If the seven lampstands are the seven churches and Jesus found himself, placed himself in the midst of the church, the real church, the actual church. He is not a God who is afar off from his church. He is a God who keeps us, who protects us. He walks with us. He he is among us, even though he is God. What an incredible picture that was revealed to John. So with that little bit of background, we're going to jump into my assignment tonight is to look at the church at Ephesus. The first letter to the church is written to Ephesus. And so it's in chapter two there. And it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. Jesus is speaking to a specific church located in the city of Ephesus. Why Ephesus? Well, there's going to be a lot of reasons, right? There are other big and great churches and influential churches in this time period. Also the church at Antioch, the church at Rome, lots of other ones. But here's some things about Ephesus, right? Ephesus was a large church. It was an influential church. Paul had spent three years teaching here, right? Timothy had pastored here. Paul had written a specific letter to the church at Ephesus. You know it as the book of Ephesians, right? And Paul had left Timothy to pastor there and had written letters to Timothy as he fulfilled that role at Ephesus. People who worshiped, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesus was also a city of great pagan worship, right? So it was also known for that. It was the goddess Artemis, or in Latin, the goddess Diana, same thing, different languages, 
the goddess Artemis, there was a ginormous temple, really, really huge temple in the city of Ephesus. So it was a pagan city. It was a center of pagan worship. People flocked from everywhere to the city to worship at this temple, right? It was full of devoted, passionate idol worshipers, full of sacrifice. So much so that for an entire month of the year, everything would focus around just a celebrating to this pagan god. So this church finds itself in the middle of this culture, in the middle of a situation where right, the vast majority of people are worshiping a pagan god. And Jesus describes himself to the church. He does this in each of the letters. He picks a specific introduction to that church. And in doing so, he's revealing something about himself to that particular church. And we see that here in chapter 2, continuing in verse 1. He describes himself as the one, capital O, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says this, right? I am the one who holds the seven stars. What are those? The messengers, right? The angels to the churches. So what is he saying? He says, I am your teacher. I am your instructor. I am the one sending my message to you people, church at Ephesus, the one who walks among the seven gold stands. I am the one near you. I am the one among you. I am with you, church, right? Talking to the church at Ephesus. And then he says, and I say, Jesus is saying this to this church. I know your deeds. Take a second right there. If Jesus appeared in your world, and the first thing he said to you is, I know your deeds. What would that do to your heart? Would it bring rejoicing or would it bring fear? Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister that question to you. Maybe for most of us it would be both because we know that we have not yet attained, right? But we are striving to the high call in Jesus Christ. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. Woo! Jesus was commending them. He was encouraging them. He was taking time to point out their work because they had been working. They had been faithful to heed the counsel that they had received from Paul, from Timothy. They had received counsel and direction for having a church in the midst of this pagan city. We can look at a couple of those directions. Back in Acts 20, I have the scripture up for you here. And online, you can see it there. It says Acts 20, 28, to the church, right? This was Paul to the elders at Ephesus. He told them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What is he telling them? Be on guard. And now Jesus is telling them, you've done a good job of that. Look at Acts 20, verse 30, and the beginning of verse 31. And from your own selves, Paul is writing to the elders or telling the elders, men will arise speaking perverse things 
to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. If you go back to Jesus' words, he said, you cannot tolerate evil men. You put them to the test. You cast out or find those who are false to be false. Jesus is saying you're doing a good job. Revelations in the next verse, verse 3, it says, Jesus goes on to say, and you have perseverance. Oh, I want to have perseverance. You want to have perseverance? That means we endure, right? We keep running. We don't stop. We don't give up. We press in. We persevere regardless of circumstances and situation. What a commendation from Jesus to this church. And you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Oh, they've accepted the grace of God that has empowered them to not grow weary. What did they have to endure? What did they have to persevere through? Through persecution, through oppression in a city saturated with the worship of Artemis. Literally, right? They, all of the city was focused, right? It was their glory. It was their pride was this temple. People would come from everywhere. So they, and one of the things, one of their attributes is that if you could, wor you could worship Artemis, no matter who else you worship, they didn't have a problem with that. But the reason we know that the church was persecuted is that the church didn't tolerate worshiping many gods, right? They're a monotheistic religion. Jesus was the one true way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. It was a single belief. It did not, it wasn't Jesus and Artemis, Jesus and other pagan gods. So when they set themselves apart from the worship in that city, that brought persecution, that brought oppression, that brought isolation. And through all of that, Jesus is telling them, you've persevered, you've endured, you didn't grow weary. Then we get to the next one. So far, things are good. They're looking up. Jesus is commending their endurance, their perseverance, their being in the word and being diligent. And then we get to verse 4, and he says this. But I have this. Oh, you know, when people are giving you all of these compliments and they say, but, you're like, oh, no, here it comes. Right? The opposite, something's about to turn no different here. But all of those things are good. You should have done them. It's good that you did them. But. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You know, years ago when I first considered going to seminary, I remember people would tell me, seminaries are cemeteries. And I'd be like, what are you talking about, right? What do you mean seminaries are cemeteries, right? People go and they get all this intellectual knowledge about the word of God, and they learn some Greek and some Hebrew and these principles and systematic theology and church history, and they forget about God, right? And then it's a cemetery compared to a cemetery because they spiritually die. Well, as I went to seminary, I remember about three years in going through a super dry season, and I remember talking to one of my pastors who was counseling me and telling her, I'm having these issues. This is what's going on. I'm in the word of God every day. I'm studying it. But here's the problem. I was studying it. I was being analytical with it. I was learning to be an apologist with it. I was learning to defend doctrine with it. I was learning all of these things about it and its history. But I was forgetting that it is the living Word of God. And the only time I opened it was to study and do my work and not to just spend time with my first love. And in the middle of all of that, I experienced what so many people had told me for many years, that seminary can be 
a cemetery if we're not careful to not fall into this trap that the church of Ephesus did. He says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And here's the thing. That doesn't just happen in the halls of academics. It happens in our everyday Christian lives quite often. This is why Jesus is pointing it out to the church. We can have all of the good habits that a Christian does, right? We can stand for righteousness. We can study the Bible. We can listen to the Christian music. We can guard our eyes and guard our ears. We can take care of our families. We cannot fall into the traps of everything that this world says is Christian. We can decipher between those things. We don't allow the world to define what it means to be a Christian. We let God's word define. We can be doing all the things like we should which is why Jesus commended first the church at Ephesus. They should be done. He never says what they're doing is wrong, but what he says is he condemns them, right? He commends them, excuse me, for all of the stuff because it's good and it's right, as are the way that we live as Christians on the earth. But he questions their motives, He questions their hearts. He questions their love. What is the reason behind it all? It comes down to our first love, our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying you're doing all of those things, but you forgot the most important thing. And he actually tells them what to do about it. In verse 4, he says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent, And do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Whoa. Whoa. We have a great image here tonight, right? We've got what we could call two lampstands. We've got these two lights that are beaming on me. Jesus says that unless you remember, repent, and do those first things, I'm going to remove you, Church of Ephesus, as a lampstand, as a light, a city on a hill, the light of the world. Their witness would be taken away because what's most important is the love of Jesus in their hearts. That's what the world needs. That's what has to shine through us. That's more important than all of those other things. It's the core of who we are. So when he's telling them, I will remove your lamp unless you do these things, he gives us the solution. And so those are the three things I want us to look at tonight. I want us to take these steps that Jesus gives us in Revelation 2-4. And quickly, how do we remember from where we have fallen? How do we repent? And how do we do the deeds we did at first so that we are not in fear of having our lampstand removed out of its place? Point number one, remember. Remember what? Remember this started in love. This was a love relationship. 1 John 4, 16 says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. This is what they came to know. This is what they came to believe, the love that God had for them. Why? Because God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's always been about love. To abide in love is to abide in God. And this is where they had gone wrong, and this is where you and I can also go wrong. If we get so involved in doing the right things, right, and putting ourselves into the Christian traditions, which are not bad, but they have to be a fruit of the love of God in our hearts because that's where the relationship is. That's where the life is. 
Look at the church in Ephesians, right? The letter to the church at Ephesus called the book of Ephesians. Here's some of the things that they had to remember, some of the things that they did, how they began. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, right? Paul is writing to them, commending them, right? Several decades before the revelation before Jesus appeared to John and gave him this letter. This was the situation of the Ephesians several decades earlier. They had what? Love for the saints. They were working in faith. Faith and love work together. It started in love with and for one another. And he's saying, remember those early days. Remember how you started out. Also, Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, we get another picture of what was happening in this church at the time. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This was the exhortation God was giving them. And, you know, as I prepared for this message, I started going down my own path of how many times have I forgotten my first love? How many times have I got sidetracked? I remember as a young college student, I was in junior college way back, 92, 93, learning the word of God, right? Also going to school. I thought I knew everything then. Now I know I know very little, but then I was deceived and thought I knew everything. It was one of many seasons in my life when I thought I knew everything. And part of my knowing everything was that I could take the word of God, right, and I could have lots of arguments, right? I would bash my brethren over the head with my knowledge of the word of God, showing them why I was right and they were wrong. And those conversations never happened in love. But boy, did I think I was righteous. Boy, did I think I was doing the thing that God had called me to. Boy, did I think that hosting those arguments, I am so glad there was no social media back then because somebody would have a record of all my foolishness. I probably would have been the person commenting on everything, correcting everybody. I've learned so much since then, right? So there's no record. You just have to take me at my word that I was a mess because in that mess, I was more interested in being right than being loving. I was more interested in how exalting the knowledge of God above the love of God. But what Jesus is telling them is you have left that. Go back to the beginnings. Go back to how it started. Remember why. Why? Because it all started in the love of God. Because I fell in love with Jesus. I began to walk with him as a 16-year-old. Not because I fell in love with knowledge. Those things tripped me up along the way. But I remembered and that's what you have to do tonight. Remember. What do you need to remember? Where have you gone off the path a little bit and forgotten that love is your primary motivation? That your love relationship with Jesus, that's the beginning of all good things. That's the beginning of his call on your life. That's the beginning of his purpose. That's the beginning and the ending of all things is a love between you and God. That love that he pours into you, you pour out. And that gives your life meaning. That gives your life purpose. That's what gives you riches. That's what gives you significance. It's that. So tonight, remember that moment. Remember that call. Remember 
the love of God that is the root and the source of our relationship with you. The second thing Jesus tells them is to repent. To repent. Luke eleven thirty four and 35 says, The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Then watch out that the light that is in you is not darkness. There's some self-deception in that, right? That we think that we have light, but really we have darkness. When the works are not coming out of love, they're not shining the light of God, but the darkness of religion and tradition and habit and ritualism. And to repent means to turn away from that perspective. Let me go through a list that I wrote right here. When our works become our worship, our eye is dark and we have to repent. When religion replaces our relationship, then our eye is dark and we have to repent. When the procedures and policies are more important than the presence of God, our eye is dark and we must repent. When the intricacies of doctrine supersede the wonder of his divinity, our eyes are dark and we need to repent. All of these things can be good in themselves. Works, pure religion, procedures, doctrine, but they can't be first. They can't have priority because when they do, we have left our first love. So what is the solution? To repent, to turn, to acknowledge that we've given something else above Jesus, that we've placed something else, given them the primacy in our life, that we've put them above that love relationship. If there's something that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, something that you've exalted, whether it's your knowledge like I get trapped in, or whether it's your comforts, or whether it's your family, or whether it's your finances, or whether it's your job, or whether it's your ministry service, anything that we are exalting as more important than our love relationship, our intimacy with Jesus. Maybe tonight as you worshiped, you just sang the songs. Why? Because you were doing your church time and there wasn't that intimacy, that worship. Then it's time to repent of that religious tradition and get back to your first love. All right? Jesus says, right, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. He cleanses us and he helps us back. He gives us the grace to walk back to that love life, to reprioritize so that our lives are aligned and we can bring glory to God in every area, to repent. What happens after we repent? What happens after we turn away? Jesus said to do. So I've called point number three, restart. Because you're going back to the first things. Get back to love. Get back to the love of God where that has primacy, where that is the most important. 1 John 3.18 says this, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but with deed and truth. I just want to clarify for a minute. When I say love, I'm not talking about just your emotions. Does love feel good? Yeah, but sometimes love doesn't feel good, right? Love is doing the hard things. You've probably heard the saying, especially if you're a parent, right, raising up your children to use that tough love, 
right? To do things in love doesn't mean they always feel good. So that's not, it's not about feelings. Love is, but it's about actions. Love isn't just about raising our hand and being intimate with the Father. But what does that intimacy do to us? How does it transform us? How does it change us? How does it draw us to himself so that we are drawn to others? It fills us up so that we can pour out. There is an action. There is a work of love. Love is an action word. It's actually something that we do. Now, you might be sitting here tonight going, I don't have love. I feel like I don't have enough to give. I feel like I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Where am I going to get it from? Well, I have good news for you. Romans 5.5 is an excellent reminder for us tonight. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're watching online tonight, you're sitting out here in this gorgeous courtyard tonight, know this, and you are a child of God. You have been born again. You have given your life, and you are a follower of Christ. The love of God has been poured out in your heart. You just have to step out in faith and begin to use it. Begin to exercise it. Begin to do it when you don't want to, when it doesn't feel good. Why? Because we've had other priorities. But as we get back to loving God and loving people, we'll begin to see that there is enough love in us, that the Spirit of God has poured it out. When you think about the first things, what the church of Ephesus had to get back to, what they used to do, here's a couple of things that we see. If you want to read about the church in Ephesus, you can read Acts chapter 19. You can read the letter to the church, the letter of Ephesians. But a couple of things that I found in Acts chapter 19 about this church in Ephesus and how they acted when they remembered their first love. What is it that they were doing? What was the work of that love? A couple of scriptures here. Verse 10, it says, This took place over two years, talking about Paul teaching them at Tyrannus, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You know how they, they heard? Not because Paul left Ephesus and went running around in and out to city to city to city at this time. No, he stayed there to teach. But guess who went out? The church went out. The church took the good news that they were learning. The church was proclaiming the gospel. This was an evangelistic church. They were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So much so that the biblical writer to write, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both the Jews and the Greeks. Right? What was that first thing they did? They shared that love of Christ that they had experienced. It overflowed into a witness, into a testimony, into a sharing with those around them. The next verse says this, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Whoa! Guess who took those handkerchiefs? The church at Ephesus. They took what they were receiving, what God was doing in that church, in that location, in that gathering, and they took it out to their communities. They took it out to those who had need. They took it out to those who were sick. They took the good news of Jesus Christ, the provision of God to their world. Why? Because they were in love with Jesus that is the first thing. I don't know about you, but the first thing I did, right, was share it. The first thing I did was shine my light. The first thing I did, right, was begin to serve. For me, it was a 16-year-old girl 
who gave her life to Christ at a camp, came home, and I th- I, that summer is a blur. Why? Because I think I lived in ministry. I was at the church every single time it was open. I never wanted to go to church before that. I mean, my mom literally had to drag me and bribe me and make me go to church. But then I encountered Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and his repentance. And then what happened? I wanted to do something. I wanted that love of God that was inside of me to pour out into people, into community, into the whatever avenue they had, I was there and ready to go because that's all I knew as a 16-year-old girl. How do I get the love of God that's in me out of me? And when we repent and we make him our first love again, it's not going to be hard. It's not going to be difficult. It's not going to be a challenge to witness. It's not going to be a challenge to share the good news. It's not going to be a challenge to lay your hands on the sick. It's not going to be a challenge to say, come to church with me. It's not going to be a challenge to say, Jesus loves you. It's not going to be a challenge because it's going to pour out of our love relationship. So if you're feeling a little dry tonight, if you're feeling like I came, but you know what? It's not pouring out of me. Then you, let's take from this lesson. Let's take from the letter to Ephesians that Jesus has given us a way forward. That we don't just have to do the works out of dryness. To do the works because it's what I'm supposed to do. If that's how you're feeling, then keep doing it. Don't stop. But also know that there is a place where you can get with God and you can remember your first love. You can repent, Father, sorry that I let that go. Sorry that I let all of these things get in the way. Sorry that I put priority on other things like worry and concern and family and jobs. And I I didn't have time for you. I set you aside. I'm coming back to that. Father God, I'm coming back to that. I'm going to remember and I'm going to restart. I'm going to restart my time with you. I'm going to restart my daily time in the word of God and enjoy it and drink from it and allow you to speak to me. I'm going to restart when I get into church and worship with my whole heart. I'm going to focus solely on you. I'm going to sing these words from you. This is going to be our time of intimacy. We can create those things in our life so that we live out of the overflow. So that out of the overflow, there's no threat of our lamp being taken away. There's no threat of Jesus saying that light that's in you is darkness and I'm removing it. Our lampstand, our light, our witness in the world is no good without the love of Jesus at the center. It's just no good. That's what the world needs. The world needs Jesus. It doesn't need our religion. It needs Jesus. It needs the love of Jesus that breaks through and changes everything, makes all the difference and is the answer. I want to be the salty kind of salt. Right? Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. I want to be the bright kind of light and the salty kind of salt. Do you tonight? Do we want to be those things and remember this lesson from Ephesians? The section of Scripture wrote Revelations chapter 2, goes on to close off this letter, and it says, yet this you do have. So he comes back, and he commends them again. He corrects them. Make sure that you remember, repent, and do those things that you did at the beginning so that your first love is important. But then he goes on and says, yet you do have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here's the deal. I'm not going to go into that. This group of people comes up again in the seven letters, so we'll save it for then. But Here's what I want to say. When we're in love with God, not only are we going to love the things God loves, but we're going to hate the things he hates. Right? And there are things. The Bible tells us that there are things that God hates. Right? One of those is pride. Right? Where we exalt ourselves. Where we say we're independent from God. I don't need you. 
God wants us to, to recognize our need for him. And he can do great things with that. He can do great things with our humility. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every letter has this statement, some at the end, some at the beginning, but it always has this statement. Why? Because it's a choice. You and I always have a choice. I started this tonight with saying heed. The blessing comes from reading, hearing, and heeding that word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He who has an ear, go like this. You feel something right there? Guess what? You have an ear, right? Right? I'm pretty sure the vast majority of the people online and in this audience tonight, we have an ear. And it says, if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. What is God saying to you tonight? Don't disregard it, but heed it. And then the closing declaration of this letter to the Ephesians is to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow, he takes us all the way back in this first letter, telling us the most important thing, the opening letter, that love is the most important. And then he takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis where he had to take those, Adam and Eve, who had chosen sin and take them away from the tree of life, lest they eat of it and live forever in their sin. He is saying to those who overcome, you and I, as we persevere, as we press in, as we keep our life centered on the love of God, that we will be granted to eat of that tree that was in the garden but is now in the paradise of God, where there will be life eternal. What a promise from God. What a commitment. What a story of hope. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.